Or do you want to keep America moving forward? Mine, dear friends, your vote is precious, almost sacred. It is the most powerful nonviolent tool we have to create a more perfect union. Not too long ago, people stood in unmovable lines. They had to pass a so-called literacy test, pay a poll tax. On one occasion, a man was asked to count the number of bubbles in a bar of soap. On another occasion, one was asked to count the jelly beans in a jar, all to keep them from casting their ballot. Welcome to 10 Minutes on Democracy. That clip was from the late Congressman John Lewis's address to the 2012 Democratic Convention in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm Jason Franklin, Senior Advisor at One for Democracy, and today is Tuesday, February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day to you all. So let's dive into what's been happening in our democracy around the country. And really, the news this week is mostly coming out from different states. So we think about the first pillar of One for Democracy's work around increasing civic and democratic participation The big story to be following is coming out of Florida, where efforts to suppress Democratic participation continue. Last week, the Florida legislature passed a bill expanding the authority of the state's new election crime unit to ensure that it has the authority to prosecute people who vote under the mistaken belief that they're eligible to do so. Last year, the office made headlines when it very publicly arrested 20 people for voting while ineligible, even though they all did so because the state had improperly issued them registration cards. State prosecutors had difficulty prosecuting people because they didn't have clear jurisdiction. This new bill is designed to give them jurisdiction to bring these cases forward. Minimal evidence of any type of election crimes under being underway in Florida, but a tactic to intimidate and suppress the vote, making people worried that they might be prosecuted if they vote, if they're not sure of things. When we think about Elections administration, another key area of ensuring a strong democracy. The news is coming out of Texas, where Texas and uh, administrators and election administrators are actually trying to figure out what to do with a 2021 anti-voter omnibus bill, Senate Bill Number One, which was passed a couple years ago, and really unremarked when it was passed, was the requirements to replace vote counting machines with technology that does not yet exist. Authors of the bill mandated the purchase of equipment with specifications that run against best practices in the elections administration field. And basically requiring, rather than saving all of the votes at a precinct onto a USB drive that is then securely transported to a central um, office in each county for tabulation, requiring use of once written rather than rewritable uh, media and that equipment doesn't exist. And even if it does exist, to replace it would cost $100 million to purchase new vote counting machines. And because of the other specifications of the bill, every other year they'd need to spend another $37 million to replace equipment. These requirements are set to go into effect for the 2026 election. That's a big problem now. Counties across the state of Texas are saying they don't have the money to pay for this type of equipment. They've just complied with new updating of their equipment a few years ago, and now everyone's trying to figure out what to do. And this is what happens when you write laws that are not based in reality. 
um, and Texas is reconciling with that. The other big news coming out this week is around in the area of strengthening democratic norms and institutions around redistricting and state party leadership. So redistricting fights continue. Yes, it was 2020 that the census happened, but North Carolina, as I mentioned last week, announced that it's going to be holding arguments on two voting rights cases that it's agreed to hear. Those oral arguments will happen March 14th and 15th, it is announced this week. And the court's two Democratic justices, after losing control of the Demo- of the Supreme Court in the last election, wrote a really scathing dissent, calling this uh, agreement to rehear these two cases a display of raw partisanship, noting that the court had only granted rehearings in two cases out of 214 cases in the past 30 years. And there was no change in the actual facts of either case, simply a replacement of who's sitting on the bench, which is a violation and subversion of judicial precedent. It says they don't rehear cases just because different judges hold those seats. Just south in South Carolina, GOP legislators are preparing to appeal a federal decision that struck down their congressional map as an unconstitutional gerrymander. The district court invalidated the maps. The circuit court has placed a hold on that ruling, though, until they can render their own verdict. And South Carolina is getting particular attention also because the Democratic Party is putting it earlier in line in the presidential primary race. And then, not to be forgotten, Montana has become the 50th state to complete legislative redistricting process. The state's bipartisan redistricting commission finalized their new maps over the weekend. The panel's tie-breaking independent member actually sided with the Democratic commissioners to approve a plan that largely reflected their preliminary version last December. It will now get filed, become uh, automatic law in 30 days, may end up in court as well. Democrats have argued that the state's maps should reflect the state's overall lean, which they've calculated at 57% Republican, 43% Democrat. And actually, according to the Democratic commissioners, the new legislative lines actually offer Republicans an even greater advantage. 31-18 split and favor the Republicans in the Senate, one true toss-up seat, and a 60-40 split in the 100-seat House. Now, the reason that Republicans are angry is they currently have a supermajority in both chambers, and they'd likely lose their supermajorities under the uh, new maps. They'd also lose their ability to place a constitutional amendment on the ballot because you have to have 100 votes across both houses. And this would just give them a guaranteed 91 votes instead of 100 votes across the two houses, or likely 91 seats. So litigation coming in Montana. Litigation, as I've talked about before, we're likely to see years more litigation on the redistricting maps. It becomes a moment every 10 years we draw new maps and then we take another, you know, one to eight years litigating them before we prepare to draw a new set. Um, But these are really important pieces of litigation because they determine the balance of power in states across the country. The other thing we're seeing in uh, balance of power questions have been state party elections. In some states, they're more natural transitions or jockeying between parts of the party, like in Massachusetts, Louisiana, Michigan, where you know, Michigan re-elected Laura Barnes after a successful year. Other states, like Kansas and North Carolina, have had more consequential state party chair elections this year. In Kansas, for example, Republican Mike Brown, who's a former county commissioner who spread election conspiracies, was elected as the state party chair in one of the closest rates races for party chair in state history. 
in North Carolina on the flip side and the Democratic side, the entire party leadership was replaced, including with the election of Anderson Clayton, 25-year-old, as the new chair of the North Carolina Democratic Party. Um, beat out the past chair, Bobby Richardson, who had the backing of the governor, most top Democratic officials. And the new leadership is younger, more progressive, more interested in field organizing and grassroots campaign work and really had this moment to be elected because Democrats had a really poor showing in November, losing the Senate race, losing control of the state Supreme Court. And now a question we'll, we'll all be looking at is, what happens when you have a more progressive Democratic leadership in North Carolina? Will it shift the trajectory of North Carolina politics? And what impact will that have on our democracy in the South and across the country? Last thing to talk about this week on the questions of shifting narrative and information and disinformation, um, two pieces of news out tying back to Trump. First is that the Trump's campaign, 2020 campaign, we've now learned, commissioned an outside research firm to prove election fraud claims, but they never released the findings because they couldn't find any evidence. They hired the Berkeley Research Group to study 2020 election results in six states look for frauds or irregularity that they could highlight in the public into the courts, looking at voter machines, dead people voting, any evidence they could help Trump show that he won. But they never did because their findings actually contradicted Trump's theories um, and unsurprisingly couldn't prove that Trump was the rightful winner of the election. The other piece coming out about Trump related to disinformation and the narratives around his impact on democracy is coming from Georgia where a Georgia judge has ruled that portion of Fulton County's grand jury investigation, Fulton County is the seat of, in Atlanta, into Trump and his allies' actions after the 2020 election have to be made public this coming Friday. Eight-page ruling came out where Judge McBurney ordered the report's introduction and conclusion, as well as the section where jurors expressed concern that some witnesses may have lied under oath during their testimony. The witnesses themselves weren't identified and recommendations on who should be prosecuted will also remain secret to protect their due process rights. And the district attorney has said that decisions about um, any charges were imminent. But this will kind of bring back into the public eye the prosecution and the investigations into Trump. Um, it will definitely impact the presidential primary now that Nikki Haley has entered as the first named candidate who is running against Trump in the GOP primary, others who are going to be coming into the primary, and this whole conversation around how do we secure and strengthen our election system and our democracy in the face of these attacks. Um, so more to come on that. I'm sure we'll be talking about next week what we hear from that Fulton County investigation. But for now, that's all I have for this week's review of American Democracy. I look forward to talking with you again next week on 10 Minutes on Democracy. Take care. <laughs>